0: at verse 22 of John chapter 3. After these things, Jesus. After what things? Jesus had just got done explaining to them that people love darkness rather than light. Why is that? Because light reveals. Uh, you can have the most meticulous, beautiful house in the world if all the lights are off. But the minute you turn the lights on, it's going to reveal the Levi's thrown over the the couch. It's going to show the uh, pizza boxes from last night. It's going to show the uh, tables and chairs out of array. Uh, Darkness hides things. That's why people like darkness. Now, not only... Most sin, a lot of sin, take place in darkness, but it's also the condition of the heart because darkness then doesn't force a person to come to the light to understand what the issues are. But being ignorant of issues does not remove the treachery of the issue. In other words, you can have a house full of broken glass on the floor and you can say, well, as long as I keep the lights off, The broken glass doesn't exist, and so I can walk through my living room in my bare feet. Well, we know that when the light comes on, you're going to see what's going on and certainly not where to walk. So the Bible tells us that people like darkness. Well, why is that? Because by sin nature, we like to stay that way. It's only a movement of the Holy Spirit that transforms us. This is why we pray for our lost loved ones. So he says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. One of the things you'll always find, Jesus was always on the move. Uh, and, and by the way, you don't ever get into pity parties. You know, it's real easy to get into a pity party. Oh, woe is me, you know, and, and you just, but that doesn't accomplish anything. That will paralyze you from moving forward. Jesus was always on the move. And him and his disciples, they went into the land of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized. Now, it isn't that Jesus was baptizing people, but his disciples were doing that. Now, John also was baptizing in Arnon near Salim. Because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Now this is interesting again the whole ministry of John the Baptist is something that people have a hard time grasping as we're going to read on here actually you'll find Jesus is the bridegroom and John the Baptist is the best man and of course we the church are his bride. Now he tells us here there arose a dispute verse 25 Verse 24, it says he he had not yet been thrown into prison because he spoke out against the government. Um, A lot of people say, well, you know, Christians are just supposed to be namby-pamby. We're not supposed to get involved in politics. John did. And uh, John got thrown in prison over it, as well as Jeremiah in the Old Testament and Isaiah and the others because they denounced the direction that their country was going. And so we understand that uh, this idea that Christians are non-political, uh, they're not reading the Bible. They're reading only the Bible that they want to read. This is not the way we're taught in Scripture to study. We have to become involved with everything around us. We put feet to our faith. As long as your faith doesn't go anywhere or do anything, you're not a threat to the kingdom of darkness. The minute that you begin to rise up and be about your father's business, there's going to be a change, not only in you, but those around you, because you're noisy little sunbeams. And that's always an important part of what we do as Christians. So it says that because John the Baptist was out baptizing, notice verse 25, there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. You say, what's that all about? Well, what was really weird is that we've talked about this before. John's ministry was rather unique because he was ministering to the Jewish people. And in order to become a person that followed Yahweh, enjoyed all the benefits of the Bible and all those things... If you were a pagan and you worshipped the Astaroth and the Baals and all those things, you would renounce your pagan deities, you would embrace Yahweh as your God, the Bible, and then you would take a ceremonial washing. This would cause you to be purified, the purification that we're reading about here. Well, what was so weird is John's ministry wasn't to the Baal worshipers and the Astaroth worshipers and all the other pagan deities that were there at the time. His ministry was to the Jewish nation saying, You, Jewish nation, you need to take a ceremonial washing as if someone was coming to God for the first time. Now, why is that? Because, unfortunately, and this bleeds over even into our society today, people believe that they get their spirituality from something other than God. Well, of course I'm a Christian. I was born in America. My money says in God we trust. Or, of course, I'm a Christian. My mom and dad had me baptized when I was a baby. (laughs) Well, those are maybe very nice things. But they don't necessarily make you anything. You know, the idea that we can just somehow inherit spirituality doesn't work. Now, it is true, I think, that as the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they get old, they won't depart from it. Yeah, we we know that there's a, a great advantage in doing that, just as there is learned ugly behavior in families as well. In fact, sometimes on to every man and answer, I'll get a question concerning generational curses. Well, I don't believe in generational curses. In fact, the Bible says that God does not visit the sins of the parents onto the children. But then why is it that we see sometimes something that would appear to be that way? I believe it's learned behavior. In other words, my grandpappy drank, my daddy drank, and I drank. Well, is that a generational curse or is it learned behavior in an ungodly situation? I believe it's a learned behavior. I believe much of what we see go on in the world today is learned behavior. They say that if you are molested as a child, the odds of you becoming a child molester are extremely high. Why? It's learned behavior. It isn't that you have a generational curse or a financial curse. I've had somebody ask me one time, is there such thing as a financial curse? And I know, but there's financial foolishness because we didn't learn from the past. Well, understanding this, the Jews thought that they received their spirituality because they were descendants of Abraham. In fact, oftentimes you'll find in studying the Scripture, you'll say things like, they'll say to Jesus, our father Abraham said this or that or did this or that. Or or it's not like our father Abraham uh, referring to Jesus and his uh, unique birth. Uh, that was fairly well known at that time, and so they would chide Jesus about it oftentimes. And so understanding that, they, they would always refer to their heritage is what made them what they are. Friends, again, this is, I think, a real mistake, and it can be a real problem in everybody's life. Here's why because what happens is we begin to rely upon the things of the past rather than what we are now. We see this I believe in the our own our own spiraling down in our country. You know, we we uh, understand our uh, that we have freedom to do things. We have no idea how we got that. That's not even taught in schools anymore. I think if you're probably over 40 and you went back to school today and heard what the children are learning, it would appall you because they're not learning what we learned when we were in school. How we got here as a nation. And if you don't know where you came from, you certainly will never know where you're going. If you were out in the street and, and walking downtown, let's say, and a brick fell off of a building and bonked you in the head, and all of a sudden you have amnesia. You can't remember anything. You don't know who you are. You don't know where you came from. You don't know where you're going. You can believe anything. But if you know who you are, you know where you came from, then you can. So there's a difference between knowledge of our past in that we need to know what we know, and then there's a difference between that, but that then makes me spiritual. The Jewish people got a disconnect there because they thought because they were Jewish, and from the different tribes, that made them something, and we find this today again. People say, well, I was baptized when I was a baby. Well, that's great. And if it's in the picture of baby dedication, I don't have a problem with it. But that still does not make a person a Christian. What makes a person a Christian is where you put all your faith, hope, and trust in Him. The Bible then says we have a ceremonial washing called baptism. And the Bible says it's the first act of obedience that we do as a Christian. Not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary because it's an obedient act of what Jesus said to do. So understanding that. There was a discussion, a dispute between the religious leaders of the day and John the Baptist and his disciples over what makes a person pure. Again, it is when we put our faith, hope, and trust in God rather than in our past. Now again, that's why the Bible says his promises are new every morning. You got to have new promises in your. Otherwise, you'll 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 think you blew it, and, and there's no hope for me because I I messed up yesterday. Well, God says he, He's got brand new promises for us every day, so that's the way we are to live. And so He says, and they came to John, and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, He who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, He's baptizing. And all are coming to him. Now, this was probably said to John that, John, uh, you're losing your gang. They're all going after Jesus. Well, that didn't bother John because John knew. And if you remember when Jesus was baptized in the other Gospels, in the book of Luke, for instance, John said, I'm not worthy to undo his sandal straps on his shoes. So Jesus very much, in John's mind, he knew who he was. By the way, John had doubts too when he was in prison. Remember, he sent some of his disciples to, said to Jesus, Are you the promised Messiah, or should we look for another? And Jesus said, Well, what have you seen? The deaf here, The lame walk? Uh, Jesus goes and cites the demonstration of who he was. But what's amazing to me is here you find this great man of God, John the Baptist, who's saying, and we're going to get into this in a minute, as he decreases, Jesus increases. And yet John in prison has lapses of faith. Do you ever have a lapse of faith? Do you ever sometimes beat yourself up or you think the devil doesn't want to come along and beat yourself up for a a lapse of faith? Well, God, you know, I tried to do this right, and, and uh, maybe you're not even there. I think a lot of us do that. And I by the way, I don't think that's necessarily an unhealthy thing. If you know why you believe what you believe and the reason you believe it, that tells me you're not brainwashed. I think where a person gets in trouble is when they retort, very much like the religious people of the day did, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. <laughs> That doesn't mean anything. Why do you believe what you believe? You don't have to park your brain in the parking lot when you come into church. There's evidence for your faith. What kind of evidence is that? Well, first of all, we can find what the Bible says really happened. The archaeological records show and prove that these places, towns, rivers, coinage, the widow's mite and and the uh, denarius that was held up, should we pay taxes or not? You remember what Jesus said, give to Caesar what Caesar and God the things that are God? They find all these coins, rivers, streams, uh, uh, archaeological ruins. Everything is just what the Bible says. So it isn't that we don't have anything. I've talked to people in other faiths. They can't find the rivers, streams, coinages, anything that says their book is true. And I ask them about that, and they say, well, I believe it because I believe it. Now, if you go around just saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, you sound like a 57 Chevy with a muffler blown out. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. You guys may have a reason for what you believe. We don't put our faith in nothing. We put our faith in something. And just because if you keep repeating it somehow magically, whoa, that makes it happen. That's not the way it works. And yet I find people who have their faith in nothing. That's what makes Christianity different. You see, because you have the assurity of God's Word, you have the historical record in the Bible that speaks of who God is, that it's accurate. You also have what's in the future. Now that, pretty much, friends, is pretty exciting when you stop to think about it. Scary, but pretty amazing. Who would ever dream that 2,000 years ago somebody would write, that you're not going to be able to buy or sell at You have a mark, a name, or a number on your hand or on your forehead. Well, up to the advent of computer technology and debit cards and uh, embedded codes and keys and things implanted in your skin. That would have been unheard of. Or Jesus saying, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles till the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And when he said it, was under Roman control. <laughs> Oh yeah, really. Israel is going to regain and Jerusalem is going to become the capital of Israel again as a sovereign nation. Yeah, right. Happened. 1948, they got half the city. 1967, they got the other half of the city. Just exactly what Jesus said. The Bible says that every living thing in the book of Revelation will die. Now, that didn't happen in 70 AD. Some of the preterists view saying, oh, well, the book of Revelation's already happened way back a long time ago. When Titus came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, that all happened back then. Really, every living thing in the sea died back when Titus came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Nope, it didn't happen. In fact, we have no records of anything dying in the sea in 70 AD. But the Bible says that in the last days, every living thing in the sea dies. Pretty impressive, really. I mean, what a prophecy. Do you realize that if that comes true, the shorelines of the world will be lined with dead animals 20 miles out? So in other words, can you imagine the stench of that? The Bible talks about earthquakes in many places. In fact, it's one of the signs of Jesus's, the end of the age and Jesus's return is earthquakes. We're seeing an increase in earthquakes now in volcanoes all over the world. Amazing. More now than ever before. And when we realize that the Bible describes massive tectonic plate movement in the tribulation period. Now, is this caused by perhaps a nuclear weapon, a nuclear missile fired into Yellowstone Lake? Uh, The Russians were actually, I read some things about that. They were actually uh, wondering what would happen if they did that to the United States rupturing the tectonic plate and causing all kinds of issues. I don't know. But I can tell you this much. The Bible says every mountain and island moves out of its place. Now, that's a pretty amazing prophecy. Only the Bible would record that for us. Every mountain and island will move out of its place. We had a little taste of that Sumatra uh, a decade or so ago when we remember that earthquake. It changed the topography, the shorelines, and everything else of that area. That's literally tens, hundreds of thousands of people died. It was crazy what happened there. So, understanding that in the history, lots of people die in earthquakes. Well, we don't have to put our faith in nothing. We put our faith in something. So he says, they came to John, Rabbi, somebody is teaching and baptizing that was with you now. Notice what John answers and says in verse 27. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness, bear bear me witness that I said I am not Christ, but I have been sent before him. He's saying I'm not the Christ, I'm the forerunner. And um, again I liken him to the bridegroom, if you or uh, the uh, best man, if you will, at a wedding. He who has the bride. <clears throat> he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Now, he's saying here, this is why I'm here. Now, it's always a great thing when we realize that we're placed on this earth for a purpose. And I pray that if you don't know what your purpose is, you'll spend more than five seconds this week asking God what it is. Because it does impact what we do. You are not a cosmic mistake. You are not evolved sludge. You are divinely made by God, placed on this earth for a purpose. Find out what that is. Well, I don't know what it is. Well, ask God. God will show you. God will open the doors for you to see what it is. You think all the things that have happened to you in your life were by accident to bring you to the point right now in your life where you are so you can do something for the kingdom of God? It's really amazing to me how God does that. You look back at your life and you think of all the the events and the hobbies and the attractions that you had in your life to bring you to the point where you're at right now so you can be of use to God. That's what John the Baptist is saying. I know that I was the forerunner from from Christ. I, he says, "I'm not the bridegroom; He is." Now we enter something interesting. In this book, we come to the last two musts. A lot of people don't like musts. You say, "What is must?" Well, as we look, John three seventeen. He tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, a lot of people don't like anything that has to do with must because it has to do with my will. And I like to be choosy. Don't you hate that when you go to a restaurant and they have a special. They got a special and you go, oh, that's really good. No, I just don't like the boiled cabbage that comes with it. Or the broccoli. Brussels sprouts. Those are, I don't know, if anybody here likes those things, that was one that maybe they could have left off the ark. I don't know. But anyway, they're a plant I know. But, but you, you look at that and, and you say, can I substitute, uh, uh, potatoes for the Brussels sprouts? No, you must have Brussels sprouts. I don't want those. No, you have to have those. You have to have those. That's a must. I don't like must. I like smorgasbord. Take what I want. Yeah, this is good. But Jesus didn't give options in this chapter of the Bible with four musts. And if you like to take notes in your Bible, here's a good place to do it. There are four musts in this in this book. This is why you might call it a must-read The first one is, again, John 3, 17, you must be born again. The second one we find is in John 3, 14, seven verses later, where Jesus said the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now he's speaking of his crucifixion. Because if he dies for our sins, we're forgiven. This is why I believe that The pressure upon Jesus to get him to run the night of the Last Supper was upon Jesus. I don't think Jesus coming back to life was a surprise to the underworld. I know there's a lot of teachers out there that teach that. But the more I read the Bible, the more I'm convinced the last thing that Satan wanted Jesus to do was go to the cross. In fact, Peter said it best. He looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you don't got to go to the cross. You don't have to die. And Jesus looked at him and said, Get behind me, Satan. Pretty dynamic statement. I don't think that Jesus coming back... You know, it's funny. The underworld knows more a lot of times what's going on in the spiritual realm than we do. Sometimes you can find out if you're hitting grand slams for God by the reaction of the underworld against you. It's true. If you're making an impact, friends, you're not going to be the star. Let me tell you. I know this. You know, I've had a couple people here work at CSN, this church. And they they said, boy, if you didn't believe in Jesus, one thing you can believe in is the devil. Because I'll tell you, he must walk the perimeter here trying to see what he can do to destroy this police every day. Thank you for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash Time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time.